Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Woo, it is good to see you guys. Thank you for getting up the extra hour early this morning. We lost that hour last night. So I always tell people, this is the, one of the hardest Sundays of the whole year. Just showing up was a huge uh, accomplishment. So thank you guys for doing that. And especially with it being the beginning of spring break for many people. You know, it's, sometimes it's just us and the crickets. So this is awesome. So exciting. Especially when I think about last year at this time when it was just me and the screen and a camera. And that was it. And we weren't sure how long and what was happening. And, but anyway, it's wonderful to see you guys. Thanks for being here. And we are continuing a series of messages we've been in for a couple of months now as we've been looking at the powerful, life-changing attributes and character qualities of God and how they relate to us and what difference do they make to us. And they make such a difference in our life. But we started with this quote from A.W. Tozer, brilliant theologian, who wrote these words that said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That it impacts and it shapes more about who we are and who we are to become than anything else in our life. Even if we don't realize it. Even if we reject God altogether, that still has an enormous impact on how we understand and see ourselves and other people and how we relate, finding purpose and meaning in life and moving towards some destiny of some sort or none at all. It will radically shape the way you live every day of your life, which will accumulate to how your life ultimately ends up. It's a powerful principle. This is why we're kind of stopping and saying, do we have a proper perception of God? Our perceptions not only shape our relationship with God, it really, they, our perceptions shape every relationship in our life. Take, take a look at this, this concept or this principle. Our perceptions must be aligned with truth to have healthy relationships. You have to have your perceptions with any person has to be aligned with truth in order for it to be a healthy relationship. Let me ask you this. Have you ever known someone who was blinded by love? Anybody here know anybody like that or had to be at one point or another in their life where consider themselves a victim of blindness of love? Anybody here? Okay. Uh, so we're just talking about other people that have done that. No, nobody here has done that. Okay, that's good to know. At home, maybe some of you guys have been blinded by love. Anyway, if you've known somebody that was blinded by love, of course we all have probably known somebody like that. Uh, and you may have even tried to warn them, hey, she's not who, he's not who you think they are. Like, you really need to open your eyes. This is different than you think. You, you think you've got this figured out. It's actually different. And then they wake up one day, and usually it's a conflict. Something happens between the two of them. Maybe they call you, they come find you, and they say, he's not the person I thought he was. She is not the woman I thought she was. And then you're, you're thinking to yourself, that's what we've been trying to tell you for like years. Anyway, but you maybe keep that to yourself, and you say, oh, well, tell me about it. And, but really, when they're telling you they're not the person I thought they were, translation is, my perception was out of alignment with reality, with the truth about who they actually are. And 
in that moment, it creates a crossroads for any relationship, whether we're talking about God or we're talking about someone else, another person in your life. There's a crossroads where you've got a couple of choices. Either you can adjust your perception to the reality of who they actually are, or you can hold on to your perception that doesn't really match who they are, and you're gonna continue to be frustrated, and usually this is what happens, that the relationship will stagnate and then begin to die because the presupposition or the perception that you're working off of is not aligned with reality, and you can never have a healthy relationship when those things are off. In other words, you cannot work off of a false perception. No one can have a healthy relationship that way. And this is why um, I have challenged you at this point in the message all throughout the series just to pause for a moment, and right now I want to do it again this morning, is to ask you if you would just pray a simple one-line prayer right where you're sitting right now, and it goes like this, that you would say, God, correct my, my wrong perceptions of you, where I am out of alignment with reality. I have assumed on you some things that are not true. And, you, and here's how you know you've done that. It's because you have assumed God is going to do certain things, and he didn't do it. He didn't play according to your script that you had written for him or what you thought he would do. And he didn't do what you intended, and, and so it's left you going, well, if God's not going to do what I want, then what on earth is God going to do? Just what he wants? <laughs> so it's going to require you to change your perspective. And, and maybe you are in a situation like this. Some of you may say, well, honestly, Will, spiritually speaking, I'm kind of in a stagnant place right now. I feel like me and God, I'm, just, I'm kind of stagnant, you know? And maybe some of that could be traced back to a moment where there was one of these moments where you go, oh, wait a minute. What God did and what's happening in my life circumstantially is not aligned with what I thought. So in that moment, you either can change your perspective your perception matches reality, or it's going to stagnate and begin to decline that relationship between you and him. This morning, I want to challenge you to be open to the fact that maybe God is saying, listen, I am different than you thought, and it's a good thing because I'm going to show you more of who I am. Would you be open to that? In other words, you cannot grow beyond your false perceptions. You and I cannot, both with, with a human being or with God himself. We can't grow beyond those false perceptions. This is why what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And um, we have, uh, we have when, we, when we look at this idea of God, um, we have been looking at all these character qualities of him being father, he's a good father, he is just, he's going to judge evil and sin in the world, that he is wise, that he is faithful, that he is loving. Last week we looked at that, and today we're going to look at the fact that God is sovereign, that he is sovereign over all things. Now when we talk about sovereignty or the sovereignty of God, we that was typically historically referred to a, a king, all that the king was over, his rulership, his realm that he ruled over was his sovereignty. And in God's situation, God's circumstance, that God, his rulership, is over the entirety of creation, that he is over the entire universe, that he controls it, that he runs it, that it all belongs to him. The Apostle Paul writes about this in kind of a brief way in Romans chapter 11, verse 20, or 36, where he said this, 
And he's talking about God here. He says, and for from him and through him and for him are all things. From him, he's the creator. It all came from him. Everything that is came from him or it came from something that came from him. Everything that has been built, everything that is in existence came from something that preceded it, right? That pre-existed before it, and that's what it came from. And God is ultimately that move maker that kind of started the motion of all things set into motion. So he was the one from which everything is from. And then secondly, all things are through him. All things are sustained through him, that he is the sustainer of all life and all the intricate details that hold life together. We're told that if the earth's axis were changed even just a fraction of a percentage, we couldn't live here. If we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were a little bit further away, we'd all freeze to death. Like, it, it is finely tuned, this environment that allows us to live. It is all held together. If God, even for a half a second, stopped sustaining it all, it would evaporate. It would all go away immediately. But he's the one who's holding it all together. And finally, it's made for him. In other words, he's the owner. It belongs to him. The psalmist says that all of the heavens and the earth and all of creation belong to the Lord. It is his. He made it. He has first claim on everything, even you and me. Even if we deny that our entire lives, it does not change the fact that we belong to him, that everything is for him, through him, and all things are from him as well. Now, with this in mind, immediately when we start talking about the sovereignty of God, that he is over all things, he's controlling all the things, and all things are for him, it begins to create some questions. I wanna talk about two of the biggest questions that this issue of the sovereignty of God has caused for people down through history and they have been grappled with extensively. So here's what I'm gonna do for you today in light of the time that we have together. I'm gonna give you the Cliff Notes version of these extensive theological, philosophical arguments, but I want you to see that they have incredible impact on the way we live every single day, how we come out on this, how we understand this, all right? So here's the first big question that the sovereignty of God causes for a lot of people. It's asking this question. If God is sovereign over all things, why does he allow suffering? And I think we could put with suffering evil, which usually is what uh, transpires, you know, most suffering comes from, uh, most suffering comes from evil, so those kind of go together, and sometimes the question is asked of evil instead. So, again, without, uh, with the, at the risk of oversimplifying, let me explain one of the best approaches to this. To answer that question, we have to understand that God created us as human beings for a love relationship. He created us for love, and I think we can still argue today that love is one of the most powerful reasons to live. We crave, we want to be loved, we want to love, we are created to love God, we are created to love each other, even the first two commandments that Jesus gives, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, all of life centers around these relationships of learning to love, and learning to love. Now, the moment that God 
gives us the capacity to love. It's like this is the, the, the um, train engine. There's a little caboose that's following that always has to go with the, with the engine, okay? And the little caboose uh, that, that always follows is choice, that we have to be given choice. We have to be able to choose. And when you give people the right to choose, when you give people the right to choose, because love has to have choice, they sometimes choose incorrectly, right? But think about it for a second. Any relationship that is a loving relationship, if we were to take choice out of the mix, now what makes them and motivates them to do things for each other is just duty. This is just what, this is like, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting my work done. I'm just getting the task achieved. I'm just getting the project or the, the thing accomplished. It, it's just following orders. Horrible. That's not love. That's just holding it together. That's just doing what you got to do, but there's no love behind it. Horrible. It's the same reason why we don't practice you know, arranged marriages and shotgun weddings anymore. Because we have found out love works best when you get some choice in the matter. I mean, most people like to be able to choose a little bit who they're going to love and who they're going to spend the rest of your life with. And it's a powerful thing, and God felt the same way. As a matter of fact, the disciple John, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, he tells us as much about why we were created. He says, we love, we love God, we love each other, we love because he first loved God us. It's because God loved us that gives us the capacity, the ability to love one another, to love him. Without him, this doesn't work. It begins to fall apart. But it's really interesting. He helps us to see this is the primary, primary reason God put you here. He wants you to be able to have the capacity to love because it is so beautiful, fulfilling. It makes life worth living. It is incredible. It's powerful. Think about all of the most inspiring movies and, and music that have ever been written. Aren't they all centered around this word, L-O-V-E? It, it just it drives us so much of the time, and that's the way God created us. It was the way what he had in mind. It's powerful. And so, but with this choice to love comes with it another little caboose that's attached to it, and that is consequences. With choice comes consequences. And the thing is, you get to choose your choices. You don't get to choose the consequences. The, cho the consequences are just attached to the choices, Think about it this way. If you choose to step off the roof of your house, right? You, you step off the roof of your house, you don't then get to choose not to hit the ground. You're gonna hit the ground. It's a part of the consequence of the choice that you have selected. So when God gave us the capacity to love, he also gives us the capacity to hate. We can choose good, we can choose evil. We can choose to accept him, we can choose to reject him. And Scripture tells us repeatedly that if we reject God, that's sin. When we choose evil over good, that's sin. And every time sin is chosen in our life, it comes with it a consequence that is pain and suffering. Sometimes it may take a little while for it to show up, but rest assured, oh, don't you worry, it's going to show up at your house. We can warp reality for a while and we can fool people and we can lie and we can cheat and we can get away with it for a while, but boy, it's going to snap back at some point. It always does and nobody gets away with nothing. 
eventually everybody is found out. And, and this is the reality of sin, and this is the reality of the, the world of, of choice. If we're gonna have love, we gotta have choice. If we have choice, we have to have consequences. Nobody likes the negative consequences. Everybody likes the love, but everybody uh, at times makes wrong decisions. Now, the beautiful thing is that God sees us in these eternal consequences of sin that we all have every time we sin and when we sin, even if we have one sin, Scripture tells us that we are eternally separated from God, that we are no longer fit for a relationship, a love relationship with the God of the universe who is all-powerful and loving and holy without sin. So, God sees us in this situation. Scripture says he saw us dead in our transgressions and sins and Christ died for us anyway. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. That Jesus was willing to do that for us. That he was willing to be the remedy for the eternal consequences of the sin that came because we were given choice. Because ultimately, the cry of our heart is for love. And God knew that he couldn't give us love without choice. And choice can't come without consequences. So do you see, the only way that God, this is how you get suffering and evil in the world. If you're, suffering and evil comes from choices. But God has to give us choice in order for us to be able to love. It all goes together. People want to be able to pick and choose like it's a buffet line, but it doesn't work like that. And God is trying to be gracious to give us extra time to turn to him for as many as, as possible can turn to him. And this is a powerful truth about his sovereignty. Now, I want to skip to the, the big next question that we have about God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty brings up two big questions. Here's the second one. If God's sovereignty, God is sovereign, pardon me, then doesn't it make human choice a sham? Doesn't it make human choice like, are we really getting to choose? I mean, are we really free to really choose or is God sovereign over all things? These are very important questions that people have been asking for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they seem to be very contradictory. And because of the contradictory appearance of those questions, uh, it has caused people throughout the history of Christianity to gravitate to one or two, one of two different theological camps. Okay, and let me talk about those for just a minute because I think it's important for us to understand what they are. In one uh, arena, and uh, both of these camps, by the way, were started by 16th century Protestant Reformation theologians right around the same time. The first one was started by John Calvin, who was French-born, and it's considered Calvinism or Cal the Calvinist perspective. And essentially, if I could boil it down for you, the Calvinist perspective is, was written to try to protect God's sovereignty, which is not a bad thing at all. But what has happened, in both of these cases I'm gonna share with you, they have been taken to extreme forms that even their original writers, John Calvin, and as we're gonna see in a minute, uh, the other writer, would not have taken them to these extremes. But there's an extreme of this where God's sovereignty is taken so far that human free will is actually just stripped of humans. You really don't have free will, which means you really can't be held responsible or accountable because all of your choices were really just pre-made by God. And it makes other things really confusing, like evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. Why would Jesus 
at the end of his life, right before his ascension, give this great commission to go into all nations, making, ba- making them into disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why would he give this command if all of their decisions are pre-made anyway? Is this just some empty exercise that Jesus wanted us to go through? Does it, does it seem to make a lot of sense? It doesn't seem to jibe with a whole lot of scripture. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got Calvinism on one side. On the other is Jacobus Arminius, who was Dutch-born, and the Arminian view is going the other direction, trying to protect human free will. And it's taken to the extreme many times of saying, well, God really isn't sovereign. He's up there kind of like unsure of what's going to happen next. He can't really make a move until we do. As soon as we decide, then he will decide. It's like this cosmic divine chess match between us and God. And again, this is not what you see reflected throughout the pages of the Bible. So how do we begin to answer this? Because here's what we see throughout Scripture, that there is a balanced approach. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. Does God, does he, in his divine wisdom given us the capacity to actually choose to have free will absolutely those seem to contradict how do they work together well we see them in harmony all throughout the bible let me give you one of the for instances in the new testament when the apostle paul is writing to the church at philippi philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 13 here's what he says And he's talking to them about how to live out this relationship with God, their salvation. And here's what he says. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, he's saying to them, he's saying to you and I, if you're a Christian today, you're a child of God, he's saying that this requires choice and human effort. you got to work at it. Like it's not going to just happen. You have to be intentional about this. It's not going to just accidentally happen one day. And then, so he's talking about human free choice, but then immediately, here's what he says. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So which is it, Paul? Is it our free will, human choice, or is it God's sovereignty? He would say, yep. Which one? Both. God, in his divine wisdom and in his power, he has chosen to work in conjunction with us. He wants to do this life together. It's part of the love relationship he desires with it. He wants us to work together. He wants us to do life every single day together. He wants us to trust him in the hardest relational moments of our life. He wants that kind of relationship. Now, I want you to think for just a minute, because I I think this kind of helps bring clarity. It did for me anyway, so hopefully it will for you. If you think about this idea of salvation as the muscles in your body, okay? Your salvation. Now, he's saying continue to work out your salvation. So we go to the gym to work out our muscles. Think about it. It's kind of like a way of working out your salvation. When you go to the gym, you're not going to try to create a muscle. You already have the muscle. They're a gift from God. That muscle, that salvation is a gift from God. You're just going there to work it out. You're going there to strengthen it. You expand it, make it better, 
get healthier, get fitter, to be able to be capable of greater and greater strength, right? That's part of the working out process. But you can't do it apart from God working in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. In other words, even the desire to want to go to the gym, to come to church and worship, to open up the Bible and grow spiritually and, and seek God, that hunger, that longing, that, that desire to want to know God better, is a gift from God. That is God at work within you, that he's doing that. And it's you who gets the chance to say yes to it, to meet God right where he is. But he also gives you the, the opportunity to reject it. And um, it's really powerful to be able to begin to see that in your life and say, yes, God, I want to engage with you daily in this relationship of me working with you, talking to you, praying without ceasing throughout the day. This is why he wants this fully involved, all throughout the day kind of relationship with us. Now, for those of you who'd like to dive a little deeper into this topic, I want to re recommend a book to you by Dr. Norman Geisler called Chosen But Free, The Balanced View of God's Sovereignty and Free Will. Excellent book. As a matter of fact, this week it was just a breath of fresh air, uh, but one of the finest theological thinkers of our time. He just passed away in 2019, uh, but amazing man of God, and I highly recommend the book, but um, that's a great one to go a little deeper. Let me share with you another analogy that I think kind of helps to bring together this free will in God's sovereignty, written by Dr. A.W. Tozer from the book Knowledge of the Holy, the quote that we shared with you at the very beginning. Uh, it's from the same book. He talks about it like this. He says, think about an ocean liner, this cruise ship going across from New York City over to England, across the Atlantic Ocean. The course of the ship has been set by authorities. It's going to arrive on this day at this time. That destination is set in stone by those authorities. Now, I get all analogies can break down at some point. Well, what if a huge storm hit? You know, okay, let's, barring that, right? <laughs> set that aside. But its destination has been set. Now, aboard the ship, you got thousands of people, right, that are there on that ship. They are not slaves, they're free. They can make whatever choices they want. They can eat when they want to. They can lounge on the, the deck if they want to, go swimming. Heck, they can fall in love. They can break up. They can work the entire time if they want to. They're free to do really whatever they want aboard the ship. As they are moving across the Atlantic Ocean, two things are happening at the same time. There is sovereignty and there is free will. You see, and they're not contradictory. They're happening at the same time time. And this is how God does it, that the sovereignty, the sovereign will of God, this ship is making its way across the Atlantic Ocean of history, and it is working towards a predetermined destination that will not be changed. And everything he has set in stone, everything will come to pass, everything. And it will happen as he said it and as he planned it. But in the meantime, he does allow us some free will. He allows us to choose. He allows us to make choices that make such a huge difference in our life. Now, one of the beautiful pictures of this kind of um, both-and moments of God's sovereignty and free will is in the Old Testament book of Genesis, one of the most prominent historical figures in the Bible. I would say second only to Jesus in the sense of how much 
total literature is dedicated to this man's life. It is Joseph, the son of Jacob. From Genesis 37 all the way to the end of Genesis, chapter 50, it's about the life of Joseph and how that life unfolds. And it's, it's an incredible story. And if you've never read it, I want to challenge you. Go back and read Genesis 37 through 50 and read this story and see what God did. It's incredible. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the quick cliff note version. And I'm going to tell you this story, and people are going to go, oh, he left out a bunch of stuff. It's like seeing the movie after reading the book. And, you know, the book's way better. There's so many more great things they, they left out. So I'm just going to tell you up front. I'm going to leave a lot of stuff out. But Joseph's story begins with a dream that God gives him of greatness in his future where someday many people will be bowing down to him, including his own family. Well, he's a young teenage boy at the time, and he couldn't help himself. He was young and dumb. He tells his brothers about the, the story of his um, dream. Hey, guess what? Someday you're going to bow down to me. I'm going really, to be a big shot. I'm going to be really important. Well, they are insanely jealous of him anyway, and then they decide, you know what? We need to get rid of this brat. Let's, let's get rid of him like for good and they sell him to Midianite slave traders and they take him down to Egypt and sell him to a man named Potiphar. In the meantime, his brothers tell his dad he died. Some wild animal must have gotten him. We don't know, but he died and he goes down. He works for this man named Potiphar who is a, a very wealthy and powerful dignitary that works for the um, Egyptian uh, government, works for Pharaoh himself and he starts working for this man Potiphar and he is really gifted and successful. Everything he touches, it turns to gold. So Potiphar gives him more and more and more responsibility. He's, he's good with finances, he's good with management, all this stuff, he's just amazing. Well, Potiphar's away on business at one time and Potiphar's wife is there and she starts taking notice of young Joseph. Well, young Joseph is like young and good looking. I mean, ladies, he's like Timothy Chalamet and Harry Styles or something like that. You know, like she couldn't help herself. She tries to seduce him, tries to pull him into the bedroom. And he's like, lady, you are crazy. I'm out of here. He takes off running out of the house to leave and she screams, rape. He's trying to take advantage of me. Potiphar comes home. Who's he going to believe, his wife or one of his employees? He throws him in prison. He's in prison for 13 long, difficult, painful, excruciating years. But even while he's in prison, we're told God gives him his favor. And he is, as a prisoner, elevated to, like, managing all the other prisoners. He's so trusted. And one afternoon... Through a series of events, he gets promoted to come to the palace and interpret a dream for the Pharaoh himself. And Pharaoh's so impressed with his answer, he says, you get to work for me. You're going to be second in charge of the dominant world power of the time, most powerful and wealthy man in all of Egypt. And Egypt was the most wealthy nation in the world at the time. He starts working for him, and he specifically is being used by God in Egypt to prepare them for a huge famine that's coming. So he's storing up grain, storing up grain, right? When the famine hits, it hits in, Egypt, uh, in Israel as well. So his family, his brothers, make their way down to Egypt to get grain because they're all starving to death up there. And when they come down, they don't realize it, but they're buying grain from their own brother that they sold into slavery years prior. So here's his moment. He can finally get revenge on these brothers that sold him, got rid of him, hurt him, tried to kill him, basically. 
without getting their hands bloody. And he has this moment. So what does he do? In the last chapter of the book, they're scared to death. They're right in front of him. What does he say? Chapter 50, verses 19 and 20. Here's what Joseph does. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am, am pardon me, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? As if to say, am I sovereign? Am I over all of history? No. He says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Hey, hey, I know you had free will. You had free choice. You intended something that was horrible, and it it was intended to hurt me. But God's intent was bigger. His will, his sovereign will, his providential working in my life of taking all of this brokenness from bad relationships and bad choices he brings it together and he works it all for the good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives in other words he's saying your intent doesn't get to have the final word on my life maybe you need to say that today in prayer to God. Their intent, somebody who tried to hurt you, stole from you, broke your heart, that has been messing you up for a long time, their intent, whether they intended or not, they hurt me, their intent does not get the final say over my life. No. This is such a powerful moment. It was human free will, and it was the sovereignty of God coming together, but because Joseph was willing to say, I trust you anyway, God, even though it is painful, difficult, suffering is involved, it's not because of your choices, it's theirs. And I choose to trust you. The apostle Paul had a similar moment in the New Testament. It was his end of his third missionary journey. He had been shipwrecked, beaten. He had been persecuted multiple times. He had been out in the open ocean for days at a time, thinking he was going to drown to death, starve to death, out in the elements over and over and over. But through all of it, he says, but God has shown me he is working out the good in my life and for the saving of many lives. Just like Joseph said in Romans 8, 28, maybe you have seen this before, And we know that God causes everything, not some things, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That he can and will use everything. So which is it? Is God sovereign over everything? Yes or no? Yes, right? Do you have free will? Can you make choices? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, thank you. That's not a trick question. I hope by the end of this message you knew that. That's true. All right, let me try it one more time. Do you have the uh, opportunity to make a decision? Yes or no? Yes, that's right. Thank you. You do. But here's what Paul is telling us with those two things in mind. You can have confidence that there is nothing that will ever happen to your life that God cannot also work out for your good, no matter how hard, excruciating, and difficult it is for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. These are the children of God. These are the people who say, God, I'm in. I'm with you. I trust you. I want a love relationship with you. I I am trusting Jesus in your remedy for my sin consequence because of my choices. I'm not blaming this on anybody else. My consequence of sin 
puts me in a category of being separated for you all eternity in hell. But because of what Jesus did, I can be free. And now I can begin to look at my circumstance the same way that Joseph did, the same way that Paul did, to say, this circumstance will not have the final word on my life, but God will. I will trust him in spite of, in light of, the fact that he is sovereign and he is moving this ship towards a destination that is good, that it is beautiful, and there's a culmination that he will be with his people, us, forever. It's gonna be beautiful. And he's asking us to trust him in the meantime, to trust him. Where do you need to do that today? You need to say, this circumstance, I need to trust God. In this circumstance, I need to choose to love God and work according to his purposes. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.